I'm curious. No, I'm curious. I don't know about you. Are you a curious person? The word curious, can you say this with me just for a moment? The word curious, one, two, three, curious. One more time, one, two, three, curious. You know what the word curious means? It means this. It means eager to know or learn something. I don't know about you, but for me, most of my life, I have been this way. I have been a curious person. For those of you who are my age and a little bit older, you might remember the 70s and 80s TV show called The Curiosity Show. Who remembers the TV show Curiosity Show? Fantastic, I'm not alone. Let me explain for you, for those who don't. It was uh, starring Rob Morrison and Dean Hutton, doctors, I think zoologists from memory. Who remembers Dr. Rob and Dr. Dean? Yeah? Dr. Rob and Dr. Dean. This was an Australian educational children's TV show. It ran from 1972 to 1990 with an emphasis on what? Science, yeah? uh, nature, and the environment. It helped young people with their curiosity. Curious. The Curiosity Show. Now, speaking of curiosity, can I ask another question? How many of you have ever experienced a long-haul flight? Now, what I mean by long-haul is generally 10 hours of more in an aircraft, yeah? Ten, hands up nice and high. Fantastic. Well, I experienced this just recently, just returning on Wednesday from uh, the United States of America, where I had the privilege of participating in the Global Leadership Summit Live, which will play out here on October 21 here at Door of Hope. In my role on the board of the, of the Willow Creek Association in Australia, and um, I was on this long-haul flight on this 80-metre aluminium tube weighing 570 tonnes, 320,000 litres of fuel, 555 people plus their luggage at a height of 36,000 feet in the air, travelling 1,020 kilometres an hour with an outside temperature of minus 57 degrees Celsius for 15 hours. Does that sound like fun to you? What do you do in an aluminium tube for 15 hours? Well, of course, you could read. Yes, you could rest. Somebody said sleep. Yes, you could write. Yes, you could stare. That's a little awkward. awkward. Or you could talk. But what most people do is either rest, sleep, or watch a movie. Now, for me, my options when it comes to entertainment and movie and TVs and things like that, I actually, in fact, because I'm curious... I go to documentaries. Is anyone else in the house a bit like me? Fantastic. All right. I go to documentaries just like you. And I look through the menu of documentaries. And I'm going to tell you the movies that I watched from Melbourne to LA just over two weeks ago, I think it was. I watched three documentaries. In fact, the first two were documentaries. The third one was based on a true story, which was I kind of see as a documentary anyway. Anyway. Because I'm curious, I watched the first movie I watched was called Becoming Warren Buffett. Does anyone know who Warren Buffett is? Okay, some of us do. Let me explain who Warren Buffett is. I'm curious. I wanted to learn. I wanted to find out who this guy was and how he got to where he was. I'm not really concerned about the whole money thing. 
But I want to figure out who this guy was, his family, his marriage, and things like that. And so Warren Buffett, he's 87 years of age now, you believe that. He's a business magnet. He's the world's richest man. In fact, worth, estimated, $73 billion. Can you believe that? He's an investor. That's how he made most of his money, stocks. He's a philanthropist, considered one of the most successful investors in the world. Now, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned, because I'm curious. Here's what I learned about Warren Buffett. I wanted to get to the center of who this man really is. And you know, there are a couple of things that came up in this one and a half hour documentary on this man. And it was fascinating. That Warren Buffett understood the business world more than he did the physical world. He put most of his time into the business world than spending time walking in nature. He understood the business world than he did the physical world. And some people like that amongst us. I don't fully myself get and understand business, but there are some clever people amongst us here this morning who understand business. This was Warren Buffett. He, understand, he understood business so well that tinkering around with figures and money and, and, and stocks, that he gave it all to the business world rather than the physical world. His wife impacted his life in an incredible way. An incredible way. His first wife, who, who lost her life to cancer. But she was so focused on the people that because of her impact on his life, he gave um, uh, so much of, of all that he invested, had earned over that time, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I thought that was interesting, because it was all set up, ready, ready to go. And of course, making a huge, huge difference on lives around the world. Uh, he still now lives in a humble home in o o Omaha, Nebraska. That was the first documentary I watched. The second documentary I watched was called I Am Heath Ledger. Anyone know who Heath Ledger is? Was, exactly. <laughs> Heath Ledger, let me just quickly explain as I move through this. He was an Australian actor, and I was fascinated because I'm curious to find out who this guy was. He was a successful actor. He won the Academy for Best Supporting Actor as the Joker in The Dark Knight in the Batman movie. He died at age 28 in the year 2008 by accidental intoxication from prescription drugs. What I learned from Heath Ledger was this. He was an extremely creative person. He was an extremely generous person. He was very nervous, by the way, when he had to work alongside a mentor of his, Mel Gibson, in the movie The Patriot. He didn't want necessarily want the Hollywood lifestyle. He wanted to create uh, and be a part of creative process. And to film, he wanted to be on the other side of the camera, in fact. This is what I learned, because I'm curious. He had a command of his vision, but unfortunately he was gone too soon. The third and final documentary I watched on this big tube of aluminium <laughs> is a movie called The Founder. Anyone, called, anyone seen The Founder? The Founder. Let me explain. The Founder is a true story of how Ray Kroc 
played by Michael Keaton, a struggling salesman, met met Morris and Richard McDonald, who were running a burger operation in the 1950s in Southern California. Croc was impressed by the brothers' speedy system of making the food and saw franchise potential. Croc pulls the company from the brothers and creates a multi-billion dollar empire called McDonald's. This was fascinating. What I learned about Ray Kroc was this, that Ray Kroc was a risk taker. Ray Kroc was a game changer, but Ray Kroc was a rule breaker. I quote from Ray Kroc himself about how he got to where he got to, and it was this, persistence and determination. Persistence and determination. He says this, that nothing in this world can take the place of persistence and determination. Talent won't, genius won't, but persistence and determination alone are all powerful. Now, Ray Kroc passed away in the year 1984, donating most of his fortune to charity. By the way, by the way, the original owners never received their royalties worth over $100 million per year. I'm curious... Are you? I'm keen to learn. I'm keen to grow. I'm keen to form knowledge in my life that will help me become a better person, that will help me understand other people and will help me understand the world in which we live. I'm curious. And I know we're curious about this idea of life, money and hope as well. And I'm so curious that I've done a bit of research this last month or so leading up to this particular day about this idea of life, money, and hope. And because of that, I want to have a heart-to-heart with you here this morning, if that's okay. I'm going to do something I've never done before, and I want us to lean into this. I want to walk through a series of questions in regards to money, but particularly in regards to tithing. Why? Because I'm curious. I want to learn about this. What does the Bible have to say about money? But particularly, what does the Bible have to say about this idea of tithing? And by the way, can I also say that only in God's economy will this make sense. So if you're an explorer here this morning, kind of wondering what's all this about, I encourage you to certainly lean in in regards to this, but it's only when you become a follower of Jesus that you really need to take on board and wrestle with what he's got to say about this. And he says quite a bit about this. First question I have for you is this. Who came up with the idea, the concept of giving or tithing in this particular case? Who came up with this idea? Well, a preacher didn't. The elders certainly didn't. So the answer is God. God did. God did. God came up with this idea. But why? Why did God? I'm curious. I want to learn. Yeah. God. Why did God do this? This idea of tithing. What's it all about? Maybe here's a little part of my answer as this message unfolds here this morning because there's a principle, there's a principle behind tithing. I'm curious. Hang in there. Let's learn together. There's a principle behind tithing. My next question is this. If the subject of the Bible is God, if the object of the Bible is you, what's the verb of the Bible? Some people say love, some people say giving. I'm going to go with giving. 
If God only loved this world, we would not be here today. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world, and if it stopped there, we wouldn't be here. But I think the verb of the Bible is giving. For God so loved the world that He, what? He gave. Subject, object, verb of the Bible. Good lunchtime kind of conversation, yeah? (laughs) If God only loved, we wouldn't be here today. But we are most like God when we give. So the fundamental practice that God gave to the human race in the way that he trained them, us, to be generous, to trust in him and to put him first is called tithing. Well, let's start from the beginning. Question number one. Question number one is this. What is tithing? What is tithing? Tithing is this. The word tithe, in fact, comes from a Hebrew word meaning tenth part or one-tenth or ten percent. And so the practice of tithing is returning the first 10% of our income back to God. And I mention this because some people kind of throw that word tithe around just a little loosely. You know, I think I'll tithe $10, for example. Now, if $10 was a literal tithe, your actual salary would be what? $100. Very good. You get the idea. That's the first question. That's what tithing is. The tithe comes from that Hebrew word. It's a practice of returning the first 10% of our income back to God. Second question. Let's move through quickly here. What does the Bible say about tithing? We're going to open scriptures here this morning. Quite a few, in fact. What does the Bible say about tithing? It says quite a lot, and it doesn't necessarily put it in the optional category either. Let's have a read. It says this in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. It says that a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belong to who? To the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If I was to entitle this message this morning, I would entitle this a holy act. In other words, God is saying that the tithe is already mine. What he's teaching here, he's teaching that generosity is a law, is the law of his kingdom. Another passage from 2 Chronicles 31, 5 to 6 says, as soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits, we'll come back to that word in a moment, press pause on that word, first fruits in a moment, of their grain, new wine, olive oil and honey and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything, The people of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herd and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. You might notice that they actually brought. They didn't give, and I don't think this is an accident either. The Bible talks about bringing the tithe, not giving the tithe, because we cannot give something that doesn't belong to me. So for Karen and I, for example, we've always brought our tithe to the local church, our spiritual home. And so the fundamental practice that God gave to the human race in the way that he has trained them to be generous and to trust him and to put him first is this idea of tithing. And by the way, I think it's for our good not his good. What do I mean by that? Let me support what I'm saying by Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. 
In fact, can I just go back a scripture? Sorry for those people on the computer. Can I just go back? Can I read Malachi chapter 3? This is a well-known passage of scripture. Malachi 3 verses 7 to 12, because it re-emphasized that sense of bringing, not giving. Malachi 3, and I want to take this part a bit. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from your decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 14.23 For our good, not necessarily God's good. What I mean by that is this. It says to bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, your new wine, your olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. What's God's chief competitor for our hearts? I'd probably first of all say selfishness. <laughs> then I'd probably say this whole idea of money can also be a competitor for our heart. So this principle goes all throughout scripture. And what does it teach us? It teaches us to put God first. Third question, third question is this. What if I'm unable to tithe? Well, this is a really interesting question. Can we just put aside tithing just for a couple of moments and just think about giving in general? Because there's been a lot of research put into this. You think about uh, our country, Australia. I would personally say, I think our country is a very generous country in many ways. In many ways. Not always. In many ways, you know, if there's, a, there's an emergency that kind of breaks out, we generally could give. So millions of Australians give generously to these causes. But there are also millions of Australians who still don't give to these kind of causes. You know, the number one answer when they did a lot of research on this is that they say, I don't have enough money. Or I can't afford to. And by the way, I just want to press pause here and say, there's certainly been seasons in my, our own life where it's been harder than other times. And so we understand as a church, I want to speak into that just for a moment, there are certainly seasons where time is tough. The reason I know this as well is because weekly here at Door of Hope, we serve people who come looking for help and assistance. But here's what's interesting. When you look at behind this, all this research, that the reason um, for this answer is used more by upper-income people then it's used by lower-income people. You see, people with more money do not give more. In fact, they give less. So if you wait until you can afford to tithe, you probably never will tithe. That the best way to, able to, to be able to afford to tithe is actually to begin. And that may be a little less than 10%, 3 4 5%, and you can figure that out. You see, the more money that I get, 
the more expenses I also get. And so what do we take care of first? We tend to take care of our expenses. Pretend there's a pie in my hand just for a moment, a pie. And I was to cut this pie. What would be the first kind of big expense that I would cut into? Mortgage, home loan. That'd be the first kind of rent kind of thing, wouldn't it be? That would be the first big slice. I think the second big slice for those who have married and have children. Children. Children are big slice. They take a lot of that pie, don't they? They take a lot of that pie. They're expensive little critters. <laughs> Maybe car and how we afford to run our cars and the expenses that involve with cars. You've got another piece of the pie there. Health, food, education, holidays. What remains of that pie is not a whole lot apart from leftovers. And the Bible teaches us that God does not do leftovers. And this is where it's really important. This important principle comes into play. I mentioned it before because in the Bible it's called first fruits. Think about the economy back in Bible days from when it was written, that their main financial asset was what? Agriculture. Very good. Agriculture. Let's have a look what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 5. It says, As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain. First fruits. There it is. First fruits of their grain. New wine, olive oil, and honey, and all that the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Exodus 23, 19 says, bring the best of the what? The first fruits. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord, our, uh, your God. So this is the first fruits principle. You see, the tithe is not just a tenth. It's the first tenth of my income before the mortgage, before the council rates, before the credit card, before the bills. And you and I know they're all very important, aren't they? Very important. But in Israel, the people were so committed to this that the farmers would actually go through their fields and when they saw their first fruits, this is what they would do. They would tie a reed around it so they would know that this goes to God and I will trust God to help me with the harvest. They were trusting God. They had faith in God that he would provide and of course, the same principle we've already mentioned in regards to animals, the firstborn of their flock, and some would bring leftovers, some in Malachi would bring a blemished lamb. And Malachi's role was to reestablish standards of excellence that had kind of fallen to the wayside. And God said, no, I won't take the leftovers. I won't take that blemished lamb. You see, here's the deal when it comes to this idea of tithing, because I'm curious. Tithing is never about money. It's about trust. It's about putting God first. And what was God teaching Israel in this time in history? God was teaching Israel to live by faith. To live by faith. Yes, tithing will test your faith. But guess what? Tithing will also build your faith. Fourth question. Isn't tithing a part of the Old Testament legalistic system of the law from which we have been freed by grace? Good question. Uh, firstly, can I just say this, that tithing was never intended by God to be a legalistic practice. It's always been a, an issue of the heart. It's always been about trust. It's always been about putting God first. Yes, there are principles with God that go right from the Old Testament right through to the New Testament. For example, Jesus himself. Let's think about what Jesus had to say as he repeated the, the Old Testament law as well and what he had to say. 
Old Testament, um, Ten Commandments. Do we still today punish those who murder? Or you can get away with it, right? No, you can't. Murder is still a law of our land, and you will pay for the crime. We connect with people like that, by the way, as, as a door of hope through our Skype visitations into the prison. So Jesus comes along and he repeats this, do not murder, but Jesus goes even a step further than that. He says, don't even hate your brother in your heart. So he doesn't lower the standards from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He, in fact, increases it. Don't murder, yeah, but don't even hate your brother in your heart. Okay, let's go to the next one, adultery. Adultery. Do not commit adultery. What does Jesus say about that? Don't even lust, he says. So he didn't take it underneath, he went, over, he went a step higher. Don't even lust in your hearts after somebody who is not your spouse. Old Testament, New Testament, there are principles that run from Old Testament into New Testament. And Jesus kind of elevates those standards. In other words, what I think Jesus is staying, saying here is that it's all about the heart. And while we're on Jesus, just for a moment, if we could, you see Jesus, in fact, endorsed the tithe in Matthew 23. There's a situation happening and he's criticizing the religious leaders and they're tithing on pretty much everything. They're tithing on spices, they're nitpicking and there's a debate going on and they're violating justice. In Matthew 23 verse 23 we pick it up and he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? You know it's pretty serious when he says this, don't you? He says, hypocrites, you hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. Yes, you should tithe, he says. Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things. You see, the tithe is timeless. The tithe is timeless. The principle of tithing goes way back before the giving of the law. In fact, when Moses gave the law to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, but we're told that Abraham, goes back to Abraham, where Abraham gave a tithe to a priest named Melchizedek, hundreds of years before the law was given, before the nation of Israel even existed. This goes back to them before the law. So the tithe is timeless before the law, during the law, after the law, Gen, uh, Genesis through to Revelation, the tithe is timeless. It even existed before Abraham. Can you believe that? In the beginning of the Bible, in fact, four chapters in. Let's read Genesis chapter 4, 2 to 5. It says, Now Abel kept flock, flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was 
downcast. This is Genesis chapter 4. And this is why, this is why um, Abel was favored and not Cain. Why? Because Abel gave the way that God commanded and intended for him to give. His firstborn, his firstfruits, his first portion, he gave in faith and in obedience. Where with Cain, he had that attitude, well, I'm just going to give you my leftovers. I'll give what I want and I'll give when I want because I am in charge. That was his approach. Let's go back to the New Testament just for a moment and have a look at 1 Corinthians 15, 20, where it says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the what? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. In other words, Jesus is God's first fruits. In a very real sense, Jesus was God's tithe. God gave his tithe, his son Jesus, in faith before we ever believed. Could you imagine, just before I move on to the next question, could you imagine facing God and saying, well, yes, in Old Testament days, people gave a tithe in addition to all that they got. I have been given the gift of Jesus. I have been given the gift of the cross and the promise of the resurrection and the hope of the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to lower my standards of giving. Let's go on to the next question. Question number five is, what happens if I don't tithe? I first of all just want to address these people who don't tithe. And I want to say this, first of all, welcome. Welcome. You don't love God less than somebody else. And tithing, although a biblical principle, is entirely free will and is treated as private and a personal matter, you could attend Door of Hope Christian Church for 10 or more years, however long you want to say, and you could give nothing and you will be treated exactly the same as everybody else. Why? Because it's between you and God, not between you and me, you and the elders, you and the church. It's between you and God for you to go to him and sort this out. Malachi 3 verses 8 to 9 says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. This is a pretty serious part, and I want, to, I want to talk about this for a moment, because as you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. This is a pretty serious word, but, but the, the word curse here is not, that God is not cursing you. Yeah, we live in a cursed world, but it doesn't mean God casts spells over people. I certainly don't believe that. I think what God is saying in this particular passage here is that I really want to bless you. I want to bless you because that's the God that I am. But you've got to step out in faith. And the blessings that will come from me will come in all shapes and sizes, not just financially, but from family and health and relationships and singleness and marriage and ministry. But what we have to do first is to step out and return to him what is rightfully his because not only do we rob God, we rob ourselves. Sixth question is this. What happens if I tithe? Another great question. Malachi 3, 10 to 12 says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, to the church, that there may be food in my house. He says, Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Deuteronomy 15.10 says, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. What happens if I tithe? I think it's a simple answer that you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. Let me just talk about this for a moment, because some of us over the years, I'm sure, have heard about the prosperity gospel. I just want to address that just for a couple of minutes if I could, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming into landing just here at the moment. That I'm not personally into the prosperity gospel that you give and you'll get. I'm also not into the poverty gospel either. I think both are wrong and potentially dangerous, but I do believe in the provision gospel as outlined in scripture hopefully i've outlined that to you this morning that god wants to provide for you so you can be a blessing for others and as we are a blessing to and for this world in which we live we receive that joy that only comes through the blessing of giving do i hear an amen here this morning amen by the way the prosperity gospel emphasizes reward over motive give and you'll get God blesses giving, I believe, with the right heart. The same way, same way we try to teach our children not just to have the right actions, but to have the right attitude. That giving will do more to adjust your heart than any action I know that we can be involved in. So this is not a formula for getting rich. This is an act of love. This is an act of obedience. This is an act of, of worship. As I said, I would call this a holy act to a God who's given everything to us. You ask any tither, and they will say, I've been blessed by God in so many different ways. Seven and final question, I'm done. What if the idea of tithing freaks me out? Well, this is where God says the most amazing thing. In verse 10 of Malachi 3, he says this, to test me, he says, to test me in this. And it's kind of like God is saying that I know you get scared when it comes to this kind of thing. But he is so determined because of that. He says to test me in this because he wants you and I, we, the church, to become a generous gathering of people rather than stingy that he invites you to do something here that you would never invite to do anywhere else in all of Scripture. And he says to test me in this. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. But wait, there's more, he says. I will pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. What God is saying here, I believe, he says, I don't want something from you, but I want something for you. And for us, that means a step of faith, and that means to trust in him with all that we got. So all I'm asking as I finish this, as we go into a time of communion together here this morning, is this, is to think about this, is to talk about this, is to be curious about this, to learn about this, to pray about this, and to talk with family about this. Because I want to say this, that no one should make a financial decision out of pressure or when they don't have full understanding. I want you to hear that. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, it created this, this community of people that they could not help contain their joy. In fact, it was a rational joy and inspiring generosity for the community in which they lived and they were a part of. And so together, we build the church with our tithe. And this is how we fund and finance all the needs of our church. The tithes certainly have established that God has this church in this city. And when he purchased, what he purchased with his blood, we support 
with the tithe. That clip you saw a moment ago, seven or eight minutes worth. That's how we get things done here. We're not government supported. There are a couple of projects here and there that we do. Honestly, we do. Let me pray. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church. As God's challenging us about our generosity and about our giving and about what he's called us to be in this moment, in this time of history, for such a time as this. Father, this morning we do thank you. We thank you that you are, first of all, a God of generosity. That we are most like you when we give. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that you gave your one and only son. You first gave your best. You gave us creation. You gave us our lives. You gave us loved ones. You gave us friends. You gave us your son, Jesus. And I pray because of that, help us to embrace the adventure of a generous life. This next season in our life, I want to pray a, a prayer over our church that the floodgates in people's lives would pour out so much blessing that would be so large that we can't even contain it. I want to pray and believe for that in people's lives. Make us a generous church, we pray, a church full of people that are a channel of blessing to others, bringing about that hope and transformation, that eternal difference in the lives of many people in our city and beyond.